And uh, Coach Chef responds. He says, baseball is not fun. He goes, baseball at this level is not fun. Uh, he goes, baseball at this level is really stressful. He goes, he goes, hit in front of 5,000 people with the World Series on the line with a guy on third base and less than two outs and a guy on the, line, on, the, on the mound with a nasty slider is not fun. He goes, that's a really stressful environment. He goes, but it's really, really rewarding when you succeed. I really wish sometimes that I went back as a player and, and did the junior college route. Like, I just think it would have been so beneficial for me. I want to see what they're going to do on the field. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. It's great to have you aboard here for episode number 52. Don't forget to leave a rating, hit that subscribe button, share the episode, sign up for the weekly newsletter, and pick up some stickers for your Yeti or your lawnmower or whatever it is you need to have jazzed up a little bit. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Thanks for joining the club, and a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, Netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course what we all care about, high school, facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're improving programs one facility at a time. This podcast is also sponsored by Driveline Plus. High school coaching is about effectively identifying and communicating what athletes need to do to improve. Driveline Plus is a growing and ever-changing library of the best information on baseball player development. Members will find how-tos on different baseball technology and the latest research findings from Driveline's lab, along with inside access to Driveline trainers to make sure you can effectively coach your team. Plus, members also get the best discounts that you can find on Driveline Training Gear. Listeners of this podcast can get $25 off their first year of Driveline Plus using the coupon code HSCC. That's the letters HSCC for $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Go to drivelinebaseball.com slash plus to learn more. You can also find the link down in the show notes. As a Plus member myself for a number of years, I seriously can't recommend it enough. In this episode... We're joined by the former head baseball coach at Wenatchee Valley Community College in Washington State, Zach Clanton. Coach Clanton stepped down a few months ago, and although he's not a high school coach, he has so much to offer here to high school coaches, parents, and student athletes. Thanks to now having no affiliation with any school, he's able to share some insights into the recruiting process that all of us probably need to hear. But we'll also dive into his own playing and coaching experiences, what the COVID year taught him, and of course, so much more. It's another good one. You already know. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 52 with Zach Clanton. All right, Zach Clanton, thanks for joining me. Uh, glad, to, glad to be on, man. Like I said, I uh, haven't had a lot of baseball conversations here in the Valley, so it'd um, be good to talk some, talk some ball and um, get on the podcast. Well, that's where I thought we'd start because I did uh, research you a little bit. Um, I, we already knew each other a little bit, but I, I had to dig a little deeper a couple nights ago and just kind of looked up your career at Lewis and Clark State. Obviously, you you did some pretty cool things as a pitcher, um, second all-time in appearances, but uh, you had one at bat in your entire <laughs> career. Do you remember that at bat? I, I do. Um <laughs> You know, it's, it's probably the probably my most fun game um, of my college career. We kind of got into a situation where I was just I was just the emergency bullpen guy. Um, I had pitched the night before, and um, they said, you know, hey, God forbid, we need you know someone late in the game. Like, can you give us one or two? And um, I had said yes. I had uh, you know I'd borrowed someone else's stirrups, um, you know, before the game. I just didn't think I was going to pitch, um, you know. And so all of a sudden, we kind of got laid into a game. And, and we were beating a team pretty good, and and I think we had burned our um, DH. We brought our DH into the game to pitch, and so all of a sudden, pitchers were hitting for themselves. And um, well, Whitworth started coming back on us, um, and they tie the game late, and I come in to pitch. Um, and uh, and I and I, I had actually gotten the team pretty fired up the inning before. Um, you know, I was I think I was talking a little bit of smack when I came in and, and struck a couple guys out. So both teams were fired up, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm lined up to lead off the next inning. Um, in the 10th 
Um, you know, and so all of a sudden I'm telling guys like, I'm going to hit a walk off and, uh, <laughs> our head coach goes, Hey, you know, we're going to take a strike. And I was like, I'm going to see one pitch to hit in this net bat. Um, and it's going to be the first one. Of course, <laughs> and of course it was a, it was a fastball right down the, right down the pipe. Um, and I took it and I proceeded to see two of the nastiest breaking balls that I'd seen, um, <laughs> in my life. And this was, you know, with four hour or, you know, four years of, um, you know, four years of a gap, you know, between my last AB to then my next one. So, um, you know, I struck out on three pitches, um, two breaking balls in the dirt, um, probably looked like an idiot and, uh, you know, walked back to the dugout as the catcher was, uh, talking a little bit of smack to me because of what I was giving them the last inning. Um, you know, but I almost got, I almost got my second AB. I was actually on deck to, at the end of the game, but they walked, uh, they walked the guy ahead of me to, to win the, and we walked in the winning run. So, um, I tell myself it was just fear from facing me, but yeah, my yeah. AB was my AB was not the best. <laughs> well, that's a shame, but uh, pretty cool that you got to have the experience because I know a lot of POs never get a single at bat, and so at least you got a chance. Too bad they took the took a strike away from you. Yeah, you know, and man, we actually uh, believe it or not, we got pitchers BP one time, but uh, you know, our pitchers BP was not uh, the typical pitchers BP you'd be accustomed to. We actually had to go in and face the slider machines. Um, and they were coming about 93, 94 that day. And, um, you know, about, I, I left the cages with no thumbs because it was about facing Mariano's cutter, but, uh, <laughs> I got pitchers BP once too. Well, that's what was pretty cool. So I know that you, you played for Ed Chef for a couple of years, your, your first two years on campus and, um, obviously a, a baseball legend in the Northwest and, and nationally really, but, um, uh, you know, Lewis and Clark state has been one of the you know, greatest baseball programs of our, of our lifetimes and, and beyond. And I, I, I know that when Jeremiah Robbins took over, I remember him coming to a kind of a clinic and talking through some of the things that um, Lewis and Clark state had done before his arrival that he kind of kept going. And one of the things he talked a lot about was the slider machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Coach chef, he, um, you know, he talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the swing plane and things that the slider machine would do for our hitters. Um you know, it's just, uh, it's so hard to replicate a lot of times a, a real hittable fastball. Um, I think with just how it rises and things like that. So he was really big on the slider machines, um, you know, from day one to day, you know, three sixty five or whatever it was for nine months, however long our hitters were in there, they were dialed up to 93, 94. And so, um, you know, the best guy they were going to face was, you know, was, was the slider machine that day. And so, um, you know, our coach, you know, coach chef did a great job of being able to wire those hitters to find a way to compete. Um, against the, you know, the jugs, you know, the wobbly jugs machines that we had, mm -hmm. um, you know, tried to wire them to compete against it. And and I still, you know, joked with our players as, you know, you'd hear our hitters coming out from the slider machine that day saying, you know, slider machine kicked my butt today, um, you know, or, you know, I, I, I really got it um, today and I, and I won off the slider machine. And so whenever we'd have a big time recruit, you know, coming in that thought he was really good, or we thought was going to be really good. The first thing we we're going to do is fire up the slider machine and see how he hits. Um, you know, because coach chef, like, um, you know, he, he either saw you kind of kick your, kick yourself in the butt and quit, you know, put your tail between your legs and, and kind of give up. Or, you know, he saw that you were kind of, kind of get into it. You're going to start competing. Um, and I, I felt like that was always, uh, you know, kind of a big selling point for him when he had recruits coming in. I love that about pitching machines because we use we use them quite a bit and and we'll we'll crank them up a little bit and try to make things tough on our hitters obviously like a lot of people do to try to make it a little more game like or at least maybe make the game feel easier right than the the practice did but um, that's one thing I'll notice is that sometimes you'll get at high school again it's a little bit different but you'll get a freshman coming in who's always had success and always been maybe bigger than the other kids and just kind of naturally crushed crushed baseballs and then. You get them in there against a machine that starts carving them up, and exactly you see them go one of two ways: he either you know starts making excuses and tries to kind of avoid it, uh, or he he dives in and kind of takes it as a challenge. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I think that uh, you know over the the however long I was at WVCC with the COVID year, I never I remember how many years I was head coach in there. But right. uh, um, you know, we 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 started firing up the slider machine from day one, and um, you know, we kind of made it a point or an emphasis to not really. Um, you know, try to overcoach, you know, those first two weeks, because we know that there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, learning experiences that come from that slider machine when we're dialing up 88 to 91. And, and, and there's a lot of guys that struggle off that slider machine for the first two to three weeks of fall. And, uh, you know, it's just, I'm going to let them fail 
and because I'm going to see if they can, uh, you know, kind of fix it themselves or, um, you know, give them some tips from here, here and there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see, you know, how those guys compete off that machine early on, see if they're going to, um, you know, make adjustments to themselves and, and then go from there and start it, you know, going to work. But, um, yeah, no, I love the slider machine. That was always something that we did. Um, you know, my first year we were running the slider machine deep into, you know, November, early December, and we were snapping bomb bats left and right. So, um, it was, it was fun. We had a little bat graveyard out there. Um, but no slider machines, um, always going to be a staple. I think at LC. Yeah, no kidding. And I, I think you're right. I think it's just going to keep going because it's such such kind of a big part of the culture it sounds like um can you take me back to your high school days we actually graduated uh the same year so we're the same age but um obviously came from different places and went different places so can you go back to high school for you and just kind of let people know where you played what your experience was like yeah um i went to lake city high school in Coeur d'Alene, idaho um you know it was a, a great really great four years um you know our football program and our baseball program were um you know, tops, you know, in the state. And so my, my, our football team, you know, won a state championship my junior year. We finished 13th in the country. Um, and the final max preps poll played with a few guys that, um, you know, ended up playing for the Oregon Ducks. Um, you know, Byron Hout, who, you know, the guy that LeGarrette Bunt, Bunt uh, mm-hmm. punched in the face was, was, right. one team, was one of my teammates, state player of the year. <laughs> um, you know, and he's the, the defensive line coach down at Idaho state now. Um, you know, Kyle Johnson, um, you know, made it up to AAA with the Mets organization. He was one of our receivers and our starting center fielder on the baseball team. Um, you know, so I played with some really, really talented athletes. Um, you know, and we, we won a state championship my junior year in baseball as well with um, with a lot of really um, talented baseball players. I think we had ended up, you know, on a, an Idaho, um, you know, baseball team. We had 12 or so of our players on that roster that went on and played four-year baseball or professional mm-hmm. baseball. And so, um you know, really fortunate to have a really good supporting group, you know, and, and, and just a great, or I should say support group, um, you know, guys that really pushed each other, um, you know, and, and we were really talented as well, but we, we grew up playing from the time we were about 12 years old. We made the same little league team that went to San Bernardino, California. We were about three outs away from Williamsport. Um, and that group played from the time we were about 12 till the time we were 18. Um, you know, and so we, uh, we're really tight knit. Um, we finished second my senior year um, in a heartbreaker with pretty much the same team that we won state with my junior year um, to a, a really good Boise High team. But uh, yeah, real, a lot of talent, um, a lot of guys that uh, I, I still talk with and and some of my best friends today. So um, really fortunate for the experience I had at Lake City. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it was an, it was an awesome time. And then I just I know that you had committed to a couple of different colleges at one point or another or <laughs> planned on going there. And then Lewis and Clark kind of came in, uh, state came in kind of near the end. And you, you obviously ended up pivoting and going there and ended up playing for four more years with another one of your teammates who you talked about going all the way back to Little League with, with Trent Bridges. So yeah. kind of a cool deal that, that all kind of lined up for you. Yeah, no, Trent, uh, you know, I actually made the same Little League team as Trent when I was 10. So I even, you know, I played with <laughs> him and we made every single team from the time we were 10 all the way through college. Um, you know, we made JV together as freshmen, varsity together as sophomores, made double A Legion together. It was just kind of creepy after a while, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, his dad was also our high school coach. And and that was always, you know, when uh, when I was 10 years old and I made the same, same team as he did, uh, my dad said, this is going to be a really good thing for you. Um, you know, just in the sense that you're going to be around your high school coach from the time you're 10 through the time you're 18. Um, and Corey was just such an amazing hitting coach and just a good, uh, he's kind of my second dad. So um, that was huge. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, no, through the recruiting process, uh, you know, I was getting a lot of recruiting interest from, you know, Washington state, Oregon state, Santa Clara, you know, some division one programs. Um, and then I think they realized that my GPA, um, (laughs) wasn't going to cut it. Um, you know, I was, I was just the high school kid that it wasn't a, it wasn't an intelligence thing. It was just, I was lazy. Um, and so I think they started to notice that, um, and, and all of a sudden the, the, the route kind of flipped towards junior college, um, you know, started, started going through the process and, and a lot of, uh, a lot of people were pointing towards Columbia Basin at the time was, uh, you know, the big time program with Scott Rogers, who's now their AD. Um, and he was pumping out some of the best players in the NWAC at the time, winning a lot of NWAC championships and, and the Tri-Cities was always a nice warm baseball climate. So I was intrigued with that. And so, uh, committed to them early on, I think October or so of my senior year, um, was all was all locked in and um you know i think it was november december um scott had decided he was going to take the ad job um and so it kind of took 
you know, took me by surprise. It wasn't really something that we talked about in the recruiting process. And so it kind of kept my, uh, my options open. And I think what you couldn't sign till January or so back then. So, um, I kind of held off on signing my letter of intent just to find out what was going on. And, um, all of a sudden, you know, but I stayed committed, um, you know, in my senior year, I went down to state pitched in front of college of Southern Idaho, um, who was one of the programs I was really interested in, in state national junior college. Um, I was intrigued with that idea. Um, and they saw me pitch against twin falls, which is where CSI is. And they had a couple of their commits on the team. So, um, and I did really well, um, beat them in the first game of state. And so after the game, they sat me down, gave me an offer, um, pretty much a full ride, which was nice, you know, with it being a national junior college. Um, and I was in state. So my dad and I thought that that was going to be the best idea for, for me. Um, and at that point we still hadn't really heard, you know, anything from CBC as regard in regards to who, who the coach was going to be. Um, you know, so that was Steve Farrington, who was, uh, you know, he coached just, uh, Lower Columbia, right after I think Coach Chef did, um, coached a few years at Washington State, and he ended up doing some really good things at CBC. Um, but I kind of found that out really late. Um, so I was all lined up to go to CSI for about three months, signed a national letter of intent with them. Um, and I think it was about two weeks before I was supposed to show up in Twin Falls that uh, that I got the call from Gus, my pitching coach at LC. They had seen me throw um, in Lewiston for the district tournament that year, and, and they apologized for it uh, being so late. <laughs> And, uh, they understood if I wouldn't come, um, you know, but, uh, but there was an offer on the table and, and, uh, I think it was the next day that my dad, do- my, my dad and I drove down to LC and, and checked it out. And, and, uh, you know, the idea of playing two hours away from home for four years for, for that type of program was, uh, was really appealing to me. Um, and they were fresh off a national, I think back to back that year, weren't they? Oh, I think they were, I think they were coming off three. Um, three. Yeah. yeah. Why not? <laughs> three in a row because uh yeah one of my one of my favorite teammates paul martin um he uh he was coming off three in a row he was a four-year senior four-year starter um believe it or not he had the same birthday as me which was kind of crazy we found that out (laughs) early but uh but yeah he had three in a row was going for four my freshman year and and we felt we fell short but um yeah it would have been pretty cool for him to come in and, and say that he had four national championship rings and uh you know, for him, he was just all American guy anyways, 4.0 GPA in biology and chemistry. He owns his own dental clinic in San Diego and, and three national championships to, to, sure. to brag about and on his college career and, and probably the best basketball player on campus too, but, uh, didn't play basketball, but it was just a really talented guy. But, uh, yeah, no, they came off three and, and then all of a sudden I come in and, and so does Trent and we go for four. So, yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah, you were the first, I think you were the first group of, of people who played for four years at LC state since the early eighties that didn't win a, a national title. I'm sorry. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a heartbreaker. Um, you know, I mean, it's the type of program you go into and you just, uh, you know, you think you're going to come out with four of them or something, but, um, yeah, our, our, our freshman year, we had a real talented team, lost some guys to injuries. And I think we lost a few guys, uh, you know, ineligible and whatnot. Um, some guys that were really high impact guys. We, um, you know, my freshman year, I think I threw 50 innings, which was insane or unheard of for a freshman. And that was just partially due because of how, how many guys were injured that year. Um, I threw well, but it was, uh, I don't think that would have been ideal for them to have a freshman out there throwing 50 innings that year as well as I did or not. Um, you know, and then sophomore year, we go 47 and three going into the tournament, number one in the nation, highest winning percentage in NAI history. And, um, you know, we just face a, just a, a stud uh, from Lee University. I think his name was Scott Swenson. Made it up to Double A or Triple A with the, with the Red Sox organization, and he just uh, shoved against us. Um, you know, kind of lost a heartbreak in the elimination game. Junior year, we take took a little bit of a step back, lots of injuries, and then senior year, uh, yeah, just didn't get it done. So um, had some good teams. Just uh, I think that as uh, as I got there, you know, the NAI I think was getting a little bit even more competitive than it always was. Um, and it just continues to get better. I mean, you see what, what Sheets is doing down in Georgia and, um, you know, the Faulkners of the world and, um, you know, it's, it's just getting even more and more competitive each year. So. Yeah. Getting really hard to find the the old adage used to be, if you can play baseball a little bit, you'll find a place to play, but like every level of college baseball is so much better than it was like even 20 years ago. And it just, it's incredible to see like the growth of things. It's also a really small role because you mentioned you mentioned Steve Farrington ended up being the new 
head coach at Columbia Base at CBC. Um, his brother Dan Farrington is was one of the coaches' assistants here at South Salem High School when I took over. <laughs> Amazing guy, and he's also the he has, he's also the president of our um, like nonprofit uh, Saxon Baseball Foundation, and so it's just oh nice, yeah, all world, <laughs> yeah. No, he uh, he was. He was uh, a legend in his own. If I if I would have been at a CBC that year, um, I think they had uh, God. I can't remember what his first name is. Uh, I want to say Daryl, but it's uh, Siciliani, who I think was from down in Madras, same area as Ellsbury. Um, he got drafted in like the ninth round out of CBC that year. Um, I think they ended up going in as the number one seed in the NWAC tournament. And um, you know, so sometimes I think about you know what it would have been like if I would have went to CBC or, or CSI. And um, you know, the biggest things I think about is uh, you know I think I was one of those guys that probably could have benefited from two years of a, a good structured junior college program and um, you know the weightlifting and, and then things like that that came with it. I think that uh, you know I was a decently you know, finished product. Once I got to college, I was competitive and I could do some things, but um, I think it would have been a lot better had I taken those two years of developmental time and, and really gotten bigger and, and, and to start throwing harder. Um, you know, but I, I would never change my, my experience at LC for anything. Well, yeah. And then you obviously ended up coaching at a junior college at Wenatchee Valley and kind of being on the opposite side of that, that whole kind of process. Did you know in high school you wanted to be a coach? Did you know in college, like when did that come about for you? Um, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, I had probably always anticipated coaching at some point. You know, I knew that, uh, yeah, I was just kind of a sports nut. Um, you know, I, I told a lot of people, one of my best friends is a, is the offensive line coach at Central Valley High School in Spokane right now. We always wanted to coach football together. Um, we actually coached a year of, uh, seventh grade, uh, peewee football together one year while in between my, my, um, my college time and my, my coaching experience. But, uh, so that was great and, and taught me a lot about coaching. Um, you know, but, uh, coaching college baseball kind of just came about, um, it was about my junior year of college. I was still living with Dustin Willis who hired me here. He was one of my college teammates, uh, my freshman year, he was a senior and he was one of the guys that kind of took me under his wing. Um, and so junior year, we were still living together. We were really good friends. And all of a sudden he kind of got a call in the middle of the year. He was my roommate and he got offered the pitching coach job at Wenatchee Valley college. Um, and so kind of in the middle of the night, he packed up his things and left, um, you know, and, and said, I got to take this opportunity. And we'd always kind of just talked about coaching college baseball together. Um, and so I think it was two years later, uh, they went through a coaching change and they promoted Dustin from pitching coach to head coach. Um, and, and the kind of, it was just, it fell into a line. So he called me up and asked me to, to be his assistant. And, um, and that's when it all started, but, uh, yeah, no, the, the, the talks had kind of been rolling from the time I was playing in college, um, you know, with him. And, uh, you know, everything kind of lined up and, and it happened. So, um, yeah, I'm always been interested in coaching football at some point too. Um, you know, that was always a big part of me and, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I always anticipated coaching in some form, um, especially after, you know, realizing that I wasn't going to play professional baseball. It was, eyes were kind of set on whether or not I wanted to do a GA position, um, you are just kind of get right, right into the, you know, into the Juco stuff with a paid, a paid gig, the big, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the big stipend that I got as a junior right. college pitching coach, um, you know, but, uh, <laughs> it, it also threw me to the wolves and made me learn real fast. Um, you know, so yeah. And that's where we cross paths is, is through like most of us nowadays, it's through Twitter and, yeah. uh, you were coaching obviously at Wenatchee Valley and then just, I don't know, connecting over Twitter a long time ago and, um, ended up having like, recruiting one of our, a couple of our kids actually along the way. And, um, and then obviously oh, this past spring, late spring, um, you decided to kind of step away from coaching, right? Yeah. Um, I, well, I don't think I was planning on it. Um, you know, <laughs> right. you know, the, the, the COVID year was, uh, you know, it, I, I didn't necessarily do all that great through it. It was, uh, you know, it had its ups and downs. Um, you know, I had uh, I had a position on campus in our rec center for a few years at the college, which was great. Um, I was on campus. I was accessible all the time uh, to our athletes. And, and uh, you know, we had a really good thing going, um, you know, but the, the life of a junior college coach just doesn't necessarily pay all that well. And so I mm -hmm. uh, had to had to move off campus to get some work and, and started working at a really nice health club here in town. Um you know, and it just, uh, you know, between opening a gym, you know, to work with my baseball schedule five to, you know, 1 p.m., 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. every single day, going to coach, 
um, not running off very much sleep, you know, and, and, and stressing out about the financials and things of, you know, making sure your mortgage is paid for. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, I started realizing that I came home and, and I think a lot of people were getting, you know, just a so-so version of myself. And it wasn't because I wasn't trying. It was just because I couldn't really offer, um, you know, what everybody deserved of me, whether that's my wife, whether that's my, uh, you know, my players, whether it be my coworkers, you know, everybody. Um, and I thought was getting a really so-so version of myself. Um, and then when it came to it, you know, unfortunately, um, I could live without the $7,000 stipend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. but, I, but, I, but I couldn't live without the job that was going to pay the bills. And, um, you know, and I started kind of thinking about it a little bit more. I thought that it would be, maybe be a good time to step away and, and reevaluate things, knowing that I was probably going to get back into coaching at some point. But, um, you know, the COVID year was, was tough. It, it really challenges you as a coach. Um, you know, and, and I think that, uh, in the end, I think that, uh, I owed it, owed a better version of myself to my wife. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, step back and, and spend some time with the family. So, uh, yeah, no stressful year, but, uh, also, um, uh, really challenges you as a coach, makes you better as a coach. Uh, but yeah, no, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on going into that meeting and resigning, but, uh, yeah, I think it was a good decision for me, at least in the short term and, and, uh, we'll find the right spot to get back into it. Yeah. It's refreshing to hear because I think there's this, um, I don't call it a push, but just kind of like, it's kind of an unwritten thing that it's when you have to pick between coaching and your family, like your family has to be on the back burner a little bit and you have to prioritize coaching because you have all these kids that are at your, you know, that they they're there for you or you're there for them. They need your help in, in a lot of different ways. Right. And for a lot of us as coaches, I think our families end up ultimately being the ones that suffer. And I think a lot of us, I think COVID year was really good um, overall for the coaching community because it made a lot of us kind of do what you did, whether we stopped coaching or changed the way we coached and just realized that uh, maybe we were going a little bit too crazy uh, in terms of stretching ourselves way too thin. All right, man. I mean, it's uh oh, every single coach I talk to, it's like, Hey, how you doing during the COVID year? How you doing, man? <sighs> Yeah, I'm I'm okay, or I you know, and it's like yeah, I kind of feel that too, and um, you know, yeah, I mean, it makes you it makes you really think about things, and and uh, you know, I looked at it too as uh, I have to change, you know, big time, you know, especially when it comes to that level. Um, I felt like you know the junior college game is changing, the the high school game is changing, everything is changing, and I and I think the COVID year even magnified that. Um, and I realized that I think that, you know, as I'm stressed to the max and running myself into the ground and I'm becoming more and more irritable or I'm becoming, um, you know, it just, I, I wasn't doing a good job of communicating with my players. Um, you know, and, and, and that was something I really thought long and hard about it was like, if I'm going to get back into coaching at the college level, or I'm going to get back into coaching, I either need to step back and reevaluate how I communicate with this age group or this demographic, um, or I need to go back and find my, find the right role for me, whether it be that's assistant coach as a pitching coach, um, or coaching at a higher level of baseball. Um, I think that, uh, you know, that was a part of my evaluation as well as just knowing that, uh, you know, I think that, you better be willing to adapt quickly, um, in the game of baseball. Um, you know, because, uh, communication is just so key. And, and I felt like I did a poor job of that this year as well. Uh, and you and I also joked a little bit, uh, over, over the last few years together about, um, how being a head coach, sometimes there's that deep desire to just go back to being an assistant coach where, you, you kind of just get to coach kids more or less. And it's a lot less of all the other stuff that's involved right. in the role of being a head coach. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, over the last few years after I lost uh, Bobo, my pitching coach, uh, who's now the head baseball coach over at central Valley high school in, in Spokane. Um, you know, I had made a conscious decision that I was going to take over the pitching coach, you know, the pitching staff again, because I was kind of missing that. Um, you know, and, and I just realized as a head coach, it's like, it's really hard to be, you know, the primary hitting coach, the primary pitching coach. I mean, you just gotta, you gotta be able to delegate a little bit of that stuff. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, in the, in the COVID year, it's, you know, you got protocols on top of protocols, you got protocols mm -hmm. for the protocols, um, you know, and, and, and not only were we, um, you know, going through something that we had never experienced before in the world of coaching, um, but I was also short staffed you know, at my place of work, you know, and, and working myself into the ground there. So it's just, 
you know, just the, yeah, the life of a head coach, you know, you got your meetings, you got your, you know, just the, the everyday stuff that comes up, um, on top of being short staffed at another place of work. Um, and it's just, it just wears you out. So yeah, no, I miss absolutely. Travis Jewett talks about it. You know, the head coach at Tulane, he, he said that he really loved being an assistant coach because it was about 90% baseball and 10% you know, recruiting or, you know, or, or whatever. And as a head coach, it's about 10% baseball and 90%, um, you know, boring stuff, Um, (laughs) stuff that stuff that doesn't really have to do with baseball. Yeah. Like right now for me, that's that, that, that role is the fundraising part of things and trying to get all of our fundraisers organized for the year. And we're getting ready to do the big, you know, orange and grapefruit sales. And it's just like, it's all this stuff that it's just not fun at all. Yeah, the orange sales. I uh, coach Cat. He he hates me for that one. My best friend of twenty six years. He uh he ran the our orange fundraiser the last few yeah. years. We did great. We did great with it. Uh, COVID year was weird last year. Whether or not we should be going door to door selling oranges, um, you know. But uh, yeah, no, the fundraising part was never never the most exciting part of it. No, that's what. So for I I don't know how baseball uh, got so deep into citrus sales but somehow the two of them everybody does it i don't know why or how but um, i remember in high school selling the oranges and the grapefruit and then it was time to go to college and i went to pacific university you know a little d3 school up here in oregon and i was excited because i'm like well at least i don't have to fundraise anymore and i was way wrong i had i didn't realize so i get to college because i'm like oh in college like the school just you know you're you're paying 40,000 a year and in loans, like the school will just have the yeah, stuff that you need. And I get there and sure enough in the fall, we sit down for one of our meetings and our coach Bradley's handing out flyers to go sell oranges. And I'm like, oh, you've nice. got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> At LC state, we chopped firewood and sold that man. It was yeah. uh yeah, no, we did some, Oh man. Yeah. I don't miss the fundraising. I actually, um, you know, start going, you know, the snap raises and the yeah, uh, the and for use of the world and stuff. It just makes it a little bit more convenient to raise some money fast. And you know, that selling those gold cards that just sit and collect dust in people's wallet. Uh, it's always fundraising, man. Yeah. I miss, uh, I miss being an assistant and coaching baseball all the time. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and so that's why I, I was excited to kind of talk to you today because now um, that you're not affiliated with a school, um, you're, you kind of have the ability to maybe be a little bit more open um, when we get into like talking about recruiting. And I think that's where we should probably go mm-hmm. um, just to kind of come through with some uh, just through your experiences. Obviously, you're just you're, you're one guy, but um, you have you have two experiences through it. Obviously, one as a player where you, you know, late in your senior year, you had a few different colleges you were looking into. You had one where the head coach changed. Um, and then obviously also as a coach from the recruiting side of the coach, you have a, you know, a couple of different um life experiences that can kind of help people out with that. Um, so just going through some recruiting stuff for you, I think one of the the big things now obviously is, is social media and how kids can utilize social media to try to get, um, I don't know, awareness or exposure to college coaches. So when you were the coach at Wenatchee, what, and you were on Twitter, what were you looking for or what, what piqued your interest when you saw a tweet um, from like a high school athlete? Um, yeah, I mean, most of the time, like, shoot, I mean, I think the radar gun's really appealing. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so, you know so for me, I mean, like, shoot, like that was a that was 90 mile an hour here. Like I'm, I'm peaked. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested and, you know, and then you start to kind of, you know, you scroll the timeline, um, you kind of see where he's from, you know, things of that nature. I mean, and I don't necessarily even think that the player promotion part of it was huge when I first got into it, that kind of started to to change as the, as the coaching community continued to grow on Twitter. Um, you know, I remember we were, you know, we started doing it with some of our players, um, you know, wondering at the time, like, should I be doing this? Like, this is going to be kind of different, uh, or it's relatively new at the time. Um, you know, and, and, and it just exploded, you know, whether it be Rob with, uh, you know, with flat ground and whether it be, you know, you just start kind of seeing the NCSAs and the, um, you know, and, and coaches just did a really good job of starting to promote their player and using Twitter as a tool, um, you know, because it's like, you know, sorry, but, um, you know, why should a kid have to pay, you know, $3,000 to NCSA mm-hmm. or whoever it is? Sorry if they're a sponsor. <laughs> no, they are um, not. <laughs> you know, for, for this recruiting service, when there is a massive, um, you know, following a baseball coaches on Twitter. And it's like, immediately, I knew that if I tweeted out a video of our starting shortstop who made six errors this freshman year and wins the gold glove, 
if I tweet that video on Twitter, it's immediately going to put that and make that accessible to thousands and thousands of coaches that might not even, um, you know, Virginia Tech saw a video of our starting outfielder um, and flew 3,000 miles across the country the next day to see him practice. And by the end of the day, he had a 65% offer to go play in the ACC. And that's based off a video that I posted on Twitter. Um, you know, so overthinking, you know, the whole recruiting process and just knowing, um, you know, that you have some free access to that type of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what you're going to find. Um, so I think that, you know, social media is a great tool for it. Um, and I'm not saying that the recruiting services aren't worth it. I don't know how all that stuff works, but, um, utilize the, the free avenues. Yeah, that's what I, as a high school coach, I'll get a lot of parents, um, who will ask about recruiting services and, my answer generally is is lined up with what you said, which is that if if I can for free post something on Twitter that gets in front of a few thousand coaches, I'm going to take that over a recruiting service that's probably sending out kind of generic emails with some bio information to those yeah. same thousands of coaches. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's uh, I mean, there are services out there that us as college coaches have to pay for just to be able to see, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's to me, that's not a product worth worth your time. Um, you know, if like they're going to charge you, um, whatever it is to, to promote you and do these things, like it better be free for me to be able to go on and watch that video. Um, you know, I mean, and like, cause it's, it's charging you and then charging the coaches to do the recruiting. I mean, it's just, it's, um, I just don't think it's something that, you know, is beneficial. Um, you know, us coaches, uh, you know, on Twitter all the time, you know, whether it be, um, you know, running our, our program, social media program, or, uh, or just scrolling through. And I mean, the Twitter community for, for the baseball coaching, um, has become like, I don't know, it's just, it's a great support group. It's a great community. And, and as I'm scrolling through, I'm also seeing, um, more and more kids promote themselves. And so not only do I, um, uh, you know, going to baseball Northwest is great, but I also have access to how many t- recruits on Twitter. Um, you know, and that's where a lot of our, um, you know, we started recruiting Hawaii real late, um, you know, into things and, and, and their groups over there, um, you know, their coaching community themselves, they do a great job of promoting themselves on Twitter. And I think that, uh, you know, maybe they just don't have as much visibility to us on the state side. So they just do a great job of it. And I, and, and it helped us a ton when it came to start recruiting them. Have you ever, uh, gone to Hawaii to recruit? <laughs> I, I've never been to Hawaii to recruit. I've been to Hawaii okay. vacation a few years. I, I was always super jealous of, uh, you know, Coach Sutton, who used to be down at Treasure Valley and, and, and MSU Billings. And um, they would run that. I think Kai used to organize that. Uh-huh. It was a, a yeah. Friday fielders um, infield camp over in Hawaii. And I was always trying to get to be the one pitching guy that somehow got an invite over to that thing. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, no, I always wanted to, but uh, it wasn't quite in the budget. Uh, at yeah, WC. they need to, they, you know, pitchers have to feel too. So they you should have gotten into it. I don't know why you didn't. Exactly. Um, here's, I run the PP portion of the camp. Yeah. One of the bigger, um, I don't know, uh, just on social media, there's always these people going back and forth over whether or not um, it's worth it to tag coaches or tag programs on like individual player tweets. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if they're really good, I appreciate that they tag me. Um, <laughs> okay, there you go. Again, goes back yeah. to the ninety mile an hour thing. Yeah, so it's yeah. uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it, I feel like it just kind of started. Um, you know, and it's uh, I don't know. I mean, as a coach, I started like, who's he? Who's he tagging? You know, <laughs> who who who's he? Who's he want to go play for? Um, you know, but uh, it's. It's uh, it's something, man. I, I think that each coach is going to have a different opinion about it. It uh, it doesn't bother me all that much. Um, you know, it's 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 always uh, I, I, we take it as a compliment. If you tagged us, then um, then then hopefully you you had a reason to tag us and, and you're interested in our program and um, you took the time to maybe research our program and you thought that we would be a good fit. So um, I didn't really take uh, you know see see much negative in it um i thought that it was interesting when it started happening but uh you know like i said if they were really good um uh, i appreciated that they tagged us and in, in either way it was i took it as a little bit of a compliment it, it, it said that they had some interest in our program yeah again all these rules anything goes out the window when the kids really really good it doesn't really matter so you know like all of my favorites are when there's you know someone putting something online that says something about you know this is how you should tweet things this is how you should you know do things you should make sure your bio doesn't have this or that in it but then it's like yeah but if the kid throws 97 you're answering the phone call every single time 
Well, right. And I mean, baseball is just the game of unwritten rules. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's like we have unwritten rules on the field and all of a sudden we're going to make the unwritten rules for how a kid should go about the recruiting process on mm-hmm. Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, hey, man, I mean, I, I don't think he's hurting anybody. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, you got to do some self-promotion. I mean, and it's 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 fine. Like, I mean, instead of paying someone to do the promotion for you, you got to do it a little bit yourself. I just don't like the corny music on the highlight videos. Uh, yeah. You know, that's the one thing I'm going to complain <laughs> about is I don't need to hear some techno or dubstep or whatever it is on the background while you're fielding ground balls. I just want to, uh, you know, I want to see the actions. I want to see the the glove work and I want to see, you know, hey, I want to see some angles of ball flight on, on BP. And um, yeah, I don't care what your music tastes are. Well, yeah, and again, we so we hit recruiting services a little bit, social media. So then the third big one to at least mention is is showcases, and um, I think you know there's there's obviously ones that do really well for players, and there's also ones that seem more like they're trying to make money. So with that caveat kind of in there, um, for any like high school parents or kids who might tune in, or even coaches as they're trying to kind of help their players navigate the process, what kind of advice would you give in terms of like knowing when or when not to go to a showcase when you're a high school kid? Oh, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a never ending thing these days. Um, yeah, I mean, with, with, with some of the stuff and, you know, late summer, you know, I mean, baseball Northwest is such a big one for, for us here in the region. Um, you know, and, and that's a necessity for us as a coach, you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, so many players within walking distance between a few fields and you see anybody, um, and everybody, you know, that's kind of a recruitable athlete, at least on the baseball side of things in that area. Um, you know, unless you're a big time football player or, or in the t- t- you know, tied up in your football season. Um, you know, so I think that there are some that are beneficial. I think that, uh, knowing when you should and shouldn't be, um, knowing the caliber of recruit you are, should I be, you know, spending my time, you know, over in this recruiting event when I should be in the weight room, um, you know, getting bigger, faster, stronger. Um, you know, I think that there's sometimes there's a pressure to do any and all showcases. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I, I think back to one of the, you know, there's a pitcher that's still on the team at WBC and, um, you know, he had committed to us already and, and all of a sudden kind of asking me what my opinion is on doing this showcase in the middle of January or February or whatever it was. And he's in the middle of basketball season, having played football already. And he hasn't, you know, and, and he just hasn't given himself time to, to lift or work out and things of that, like you're already committed. Why are you going to go do this showcase um, when you're not really conditioned to do so in the middle of January and just kind of knowing when and which ones are the best ones, Um, you know, and, and and knowing where the coaches are going to be, knowing who's got the respectable opinion, knowing what you're getting as a service. Um, I think that there's some that are necessary. I think that there's others that are just kind of a money grab, Um, you know, and, and just knowing, knowing which one's which, um, I, I like the ones that have a lot of baseball games. I mean, I, I that's what I've always liked about Base Northwest is getting to see the games. I don't necessarily care a ton about the spark testing. I'll I'll, ch- I'll check their sixty yard dash just to see if they have foot speed. Um, you know, I like the agility stuff. Um, you know, but a lot of the bar testing, it's like I want to see what they're going to do on the field. And so um, over the course of that weekend, I get to see each guy that I'm interested play four or five games. Yeah, there's something to be said about actually watching a kid do the sport for which he's supposed to be showcasing because sometimes the showcase will be all will be no games. Right. And it'll all just be kind of getting the testing, which again has positives I'm sure, but uh, yeah, ultimately getting to actually see a player play baseball is way different. Cause I think even as coaches, even as a high school coach, like I'll have kids who look really good and then you, you, you get to the spring and game start and you're like, Oh, whoa, well, no, wait a second. This is nothing like what we've been seeing indoors right. here inside here in the Northwest for the last six months. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen guys that have beautiful swings off the tee and front toss, and then all of a sudden I go and watch them play, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, their pitch selection is really suspect, or, you know, they can't get on time, um, you know, maybe they're smaller than they look on video, um, you know, so, I mean, for me, I mean, like, absolutely, I need to see how they're going to do it in a, in a game-like setting, um, you know, what you do on, what you do off the tee and what you do off BP um, on video is going to pique my attention, but it's going to be what you do on game day that's going to really make the difference on whether or not you're going to get an offer from me or not. When you when you looked at players and talked to players and maybe even to families, um, I know red flags is something that a lot of uh, people are are obviously concerned about. Like what, just kind of in general, what what type of quote unquote red flags are out there when it, it comes to players when you might be interested in someone and then decide, ah, you know, maybe this is this isn't going to work. 
Oh yikes! Um, you know, I had <laughs> I, I, I had a player show up on on a recruiting visit wearing uh, a, a a region rivals hat. Um, <laughs> nice. you know, so that was a big red flag for me. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just I think it's a, a matter of feeling, you know, just how they are as a person. I mean, I think a, a lot for me is um, whether or not they're gonna they're they're making eye contact. Um, you know, are they asking questions or are the parents asking questions? Mm. Um, you know, I had some uncomfortable conversations with parents just in the sense of I wouldn't be afraid to tell them like, Hey, like I, I need these questions to come from him. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, and it's not a disrespect at all. The parent, like, I don't say that as parents shouldn't be able to ask questions, but, um, I always kind of found it eye opening when parents would be the ones dominating the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, uh, the, your son's who I'm going to be building the relationship with two years. I need him to be the one that's comfortable with me. And, and I need him and I to have a really good co- relationship. And I hope that that comes with a great relationship between the two of us. Um, you know, but so I always take a lot of stock into that. Um, you know, I, I know that a lot of um, coaches mention, you know, or have talked about how, how kids interact with their parents. Um, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've written off kids just because like, you know, mom asks a question, which is, which is completely valid and, 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 like mom stop you know and it's it's kind of like you know hey man like she's asking because she cares you know and and um you know like you know who how do you how do you respond and react to the people that are closest in your world and and care about you and love you like are are you going to have those types of reactions when maybe i say something you don't like um you know and 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 just it just checking out how people are uh as as a person you know i'm i shoot man i've had people where uh you know, no belts on their workouts, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's plenty of things as a baseball coach that you'll catch on to and, and notice that kind of turn you off. But for me, it was just always a, a real big measure as uh, of them as a person. You know, I tried to be as honest with them about where they would fit in our program, see their responses, see the questions that they would ask. Um, you know, but uh, if I'm recruiting them, it's usually because they're a pretty talented baseball player. Right. Um, I'm not going to waste my time. And then from there, it's just vetting, you know, who they are as a human being. Well, dude, there's, there is something that is just abhorrently wrong looking of baseball pants without a belt. Oh, dude. It's, <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, I, 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 Dustin Willis and I, you know, he, we used to just, we used to know who a dude was before he even got to the plate. Um, you know, you just, you, you know, who a baseball player is just by the way they walk, by the way they yep. carry themselves, by the way they're on deck routine looks, um, you know, like I know that this kid's going to have big time bat speed and big time pop. Um, you know, and a lot of times, you know, that the guy that's not wearing a belt doesn't, um, <laughs> right. you know, and, and, and sorry to say, but yeah, you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta have some feel, um, you know, and so that was always something that we, we noticed and laughed about, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think so much of the recruiting process is just finding out who's going to be a fit in your program. Um, you know, and it, and, and it needs to be for the player of who's going to be a fit as my coach, who's going to be develop me in the best, who am I going to feel most comfortable with? Um, and I think there is a sense too, for parents, uh, you know, I want them to put their stamp of approval and know that, uh, you know, their kid's going to be in good hands with me over the next two years. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta do some betting to make sure you're getting the right guys in your program. Going to the kind of the opposite side of it, you mentioned it a little bit, but what's a what's a question or two that it would be smart of a high school kid to ask a coach when they're on a visit to make sure from the high school kid's point of view, he's he's choosing a, a college that's going to be a fit for him? Uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I always told kids to challenge coaches on what their depth chart looks like or what their, uh, you know, what that position looks like. I mean, I think that uh, there's something to be said for doing the research yourself and looking at the roster and things of that nature, but there's a lot of turnover in college baseball transfers mm-hmm. and things like that, that, you know, make those numbers fluctuate, but it's like, how many, rega- how many guys are you recruiting at my position in this recruiting class? Uh, I don't know how many times there'd be a catcher, someone that I was recruiting that signed at a school that had already signed two or three catchers. And it's like best case scenario, man. One one of you guys is on the field. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yep. like you, you can't you can't catch three guys, and I'm not running you out to shorten your catcher's gear. Um, no. You know, and and you know, so I, how many guys are you recruiting at my position in this recruiting class? Um, you know, and and uh, yeah, the other one would be what's a you know I always like the kids that would what's a day in the life for me look like as a pitcher? Um, you know, or what's a day in the life look like for me as a student athlete? 
you know, and, and, and being able to break down to them, like, this is what it's going to look like, man, study hall from this time to this time. And sometimes you could learn a little bit of something about a kid, about how they responded to those types of things. Um, but, uh, no, I always, I always liked the guys that were just, yeah, trying to gain more knowledge on, um, giving them more things to be successful. Um, yeah. And, and I think just doing your homework, knowing, um, you know, you're going somewhere where you're wanted, going somewhere where you're desired, um, and, and making sure that you're doing, doing a really good job of making a really conscious decision. What's it like when a kid gets on campus? So let's say in the fall, he arrives for school to start and, and things maybe aren't going well. And you, you know, you, you don't necessarily know a kid that well, the first few weeks are on campus. Um, I know for a lot of kiddos, the first few weeks of, of freshman, uh, not even just baseball, but just like freshman year of college can be really hard on a lot of kids right. for obviously a lot of reasons. Um, so if, if things aren't going real well at the start of the year for a kid, like what does that look like from a coach's standpoint? What types of things are there that you've done or could do to try to help that kid, I don't know, figure college out or this new freedom that they have out? Because that's a big deal for a lot of kids to all of a sudden go from mom's with me all the time to now I'm totally free. Yeah. Uh, shoot, man. Yeah. Eat a lot of Taco Bell when you're away from mom. <laughs> That's uh, true too. We all did. Yeah. yeah. Find out how bad of a cook you are and things start to get a little, <laughs> yeah, get a little sad. You don't uh, have the warm, uh, the warm food every night, but yeah. um, it's, you know, there's a lot of the guys like that, that end up working out too. You know, a lot of guys that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, come into your office and, and, and struggle as a freshman. And, you know, it's just such a momentary struggle that, uh, you know, they realize it's not as bad as it is. Um, you know, and so when you have guys like, you know, that, that are struggling, um, it's, it's just good to be able to put them in touch or, or have a support group of someone that else is, that's, that's gone through it. Um, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had players come in third day of fall, like, Hey, college baseball is not really what I was expecting it to be. It's a lot harder. Uh, yeah, I miss my parents, this and that. It's like, Hey, you know, how, how about you go, Hey, you know, bring someone in to talk to them that, you know, that can relate to their experience and be able to go through that, um, from the peer side of things. Um, you know, it's, it's always nice to be able to talk to someone that's gone through it before. Um, you know, we've used, we've used people on campus that, uh, you know, whether it be our counseling service, whether it be, you know, like, Hey man, like you want to talk to someone that's, you know, that's like really qualified to talk about this type of stuff. Um, you know, and, and, and some, and, and a lot of them are really open to that type of stuff. Like it helps them out. Um, you know, Hey, Hey man, why don't you, why don't you take the weekend off and go see mom and dad? Um, you know, and, and for me, our rule kind of in the fall was always yet one weekend off, no matter what, like, you don't have to tell me what it is, this and that, but you also have to have a, a good feel for who your players are. And, and if they're really missing mom and dad, like, and, and you need them to be a player for you. And, um, you just, I mean, you gotta, it's, it's case by case. I've sent guys home for the weekend said, Hey man, you know, take a week off. Let me know when you're ready to come back. And um, if you aren't, you know, if you aren't, that's fine, too. Um, but at least, uh, you know, you took the time to, to really sit down and evaluate um, whether or not you want to be here. And, um, you know, but, uh, you know, going through some classroom sessions, whether it be, you know, for the entire team, like, you know, you got to you got to get these kids, um, you know, ready to be grown men. Um, you know, that's, I mean, there's just so much more to just developing baseball players as a baseball coach, especially at the junior college level. I mean, you can develop in these guys into young men. And, and, and for me, it took a while to learn how to do that just because, you know, when I went into LC state, I was one of two freshmen on a 75 man roster. These guys were all grown men. Um, you know, so I had to learn not only how to, um, you know, coach completely different than I was coached, but you also learn real fast that, you know, these 18 and 19 year old kids aren't the same as the 22 and 23 year old teammates you had at LC state. So, um, that was always something that was, uh, was different for me as a coach was just, uh, relating to players that I didn't play with in college. And the college game has changed a lot too, over the last few years where, um, more and more and more colleges are doing what LC state all kind of always did, which was that really heavy into junior college, uh, kids coming in because mm -hmm. you're getting guys, you're getting guys who uh, they're, they're like, they're, they're men already. Like they've gone yeah. through the first couple of years of college. They're over that they're thirsty to win and be part of something big. Like they're showing up ready to go. And so more and more kids are, are going that route, not necessarily maybe because they want to, of course, every freshman in college wants to play for the university of Oregon or Oregon state or LSU. And, but right. that's not the reality as much anymore. It's a lot more transfer kids coming from other schools. And then also the Juco route. 
And so the junior college thing is not what it used to be. Like, I know, I don't know, 30 years ago, I'm sure it was kind of like, well, that's for the kids who, you know, they're not real smart. And so they got to go do it right. That's kind of always how people looked at it, but it's not how it is. And it's, it's such a, it's such a like breeding ground to prepare kids for um, what actual, uh, you know, the four year university is going to be like, because so few of them are bringing in uh, just straight freshmen anymore. So what you're talking about is so true that a lot of a Juco coach's job now is, is, in in a lot of the ways really similar to high school coaches job where you're trying to prepare these kids to become men and you're also at the same time trying to help them get recruited to go to their next stop and so it's it's a really interesting kind of landscape where you're you're kind of in between a couple of places for these guys right yeah i mean that was something that we always said at when Valley college is like we're not a destination we should be a stepping stone um and making sure that they're prepared for life after wbc like that what they do after wbc is far more important to me or as important to me uh as what they do for me at WB, you know, it's just, um, I wasn't in it for the wins and losses. It was about sending guys on to division one schools or sending guys on to the next level. And that was something that we did with great success, regardless of what our record looked like. Um, you know, and, and it's just, you know, whether or not they went on to a, a school afterwards to play baseball, um, almost all of them were getting their associate's degrees and moving on. And, you know, and, and that should be what it's about. It's just, it's, there's too many coaches at the junior college level these days. I feel like that are in it for the wins and losses and that's not what it's about. Um, you know, so it's, it, it, it was interesting, man. I mean, I, uh, I really wish sometimes that I went back as a player and, and did the junior college route. Like, I just think it would have been so beneficial for me. Um, you know, but for me, I always looked at it as just preparing my guys to play at LC state. Um, you know, and, and, and I knew that every single player wasn't going to, play at LC or even want to play at LC like I did. Um, you know, but if I prepared them for LC and they made it through my program, they'd be prepared for regard anywhere that they were going to go. Um, you know, anything was going to be kind of a step down from that. Um, you know, and, and if they could handle, they, if they could handle LC, they could handle anywhere is how the way I looked at it. Um, and so I tried to, I tried to prepare them for that. You know, I tried to make them more mentally tough. I tried to get them to be more organized. I tried to get them to be able to handle their stuff, track what they were doing. Um, you know, and because at LC, there just wasn't a lot of hold handholding. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't know if there is, you know, in division one programs, I can't say I've ever played in one. Um, you know, so it's, uh, you're just preparing them to be a man. Um, and being able to look out for themselves and, and know that uh, in the at the end of the day, um, you're responsible for all your own actions and, and, and what you do yourself is, is going to do is going to separate you far more than any what any coach is going to do. Uh, like you're going to have to take it upon yourself at some point um, and take some ownership over that. Well, you brought LC State back up, so let's circle let's circle back there because I can't have an LC State guy on who played Fred Chef and not ask at least one question for a, a somewhat safe for all audiences uh, Ed Chef story. If you have anything, any any good memories, I know you had two years with him, uh, and then Gary came in. But uh, if you have any good Ed Chef stories to share here to kind of finish this off. Um, you know, I think this will be a good one for recruiting. Um, you know, now that I think about it, and it's just, it's always been something that I've shared. It's a story that I share with my team where I shared with my team every single year. Um, we're sitting, I think we just got rained out. Um, we're sitting in the, the cages um, and this like never, ever happened. Um, all the teams sitting there, and there at the same time, usually our practice were all split and pitchers did their own thing and hitters did their own thing. So all of us are there together. Uh, I think Jeremy Affelt, you know, who used to pitch for the Giants, it was kind of like a guest speaker for us that day. Um, you know, he had a really good relationship with Coach Chef, and I don't remember exactly why. But so he talked for a little bit, well, and then Coach Chef um, gets in front of the team and and asks kind of a, you know, whatever, uh, just a question. He says, uh, "Is baseball fun?" And uh, you know, I think most of us in that circle at that time were kind of thinking, "Not playing for you, it's not." Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so Paul, you know, who I told you three national championships, okay. you know, all American dude. He, uh, he says, yeah, baseball's fun. And, uh, coach chef responds. He said, baseball's not fun. He goes, baseball at this level is not fun. Uh, he goes, baseball at this level is really stressful. He goes, he goes hit in front of 5,000 people with the world series on the line with a guy on third base and less than two outs and a guy on the line on the, on the mound with a nasty slider is not fun. He goes, that's a really stressful environment. He goes, but it's really, really rewarding when you succeed. 
Um, he said that, you know, practicing and hitting off the slider machine every single day for three hours a day or taking Hummer ground balls off triple tens off the hack attack or whatever it is that they were doing, um, uh, isn't fun. But when you went on Friday night and you kick the crap out of someone because you're prepared to do so, that's really rewarding. He goes, but it's not fun. Um, he goes, you don't play college baseball at this level because it's fun. You play a college baseball at this level because you can't picture your life without it. Um, you just got to be wired a little bit different. I mean, college baseball is not, you know, if you're doing it because you're, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's not for you. Like I really, I really truly believe that. Like you got to be wired a little bit different. Baseball has got to be what makes you tick. Um, otherwise, I mean, otherwise it's just not going to be the experience that you want it to be. Um, you know, and, and that always was something that really resonated with me. Um, you know, but, uh, trying to, th- you know, <laughs> You know, Chef being as 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 big of a general as he was, you know, so much you know negativity, and and I say that you know, just it was just such a big part of how successful he was. He it really was. I loved it. Um, you know, but I, I remember Game One World Series, sophomore year, number one in the country. We're all juiced up, five thousand people in the stands. He uh, he calls everybody in. And, uh, we're all circled around and we're waiting for something. I, I, we probably thought we messed up and did something wrong. Um, and he, uh, I remember he just turned and he slapped the guy that was going to start pitching. He's, he, he kind of slapped him in the chest and he, he said, he, he goes, let's get a dub tonight. And for some reason that juiced us all up. He was such a big believer in I'm going to ride you all season long. I'm just going to ride you and ride you and ride you. And then once we got to the world series is the most supportive coach in the world. Um, and it was just because he knew for nine months, he was going to just try and make us the most mentally tough, tough group of 24 guys with one mission to win the world series. Um, and then he was just going to let us play come May. Um, and that, so that was something that I always kind of took away from it too. When I coach high school baseball, it's just like, I'm going to be tough on you for the first, you know, three quarters of the year to try and make you tough for what, when it really matters, when everything's on the line, like I need the, the, the most mentally tough group of guys out there. Um, you know, and, and, and at that point it's just time to sit back and let them play fast, play fun. Um, and that was something I always really respected about him because he knew that in all reality, it only mattered what happened come May. We could go on 55. We were going to still play in the world series. I know NAI ball hates that, but, um, <laughs> You know, and, and everybody hates that auto bid, but um, he, he knew we could go 0 and 55. So he's just going to run us into the ground and uh, and just make sure he has the 24 best guys come May. Uh, and you can't, it, it works, <laughs> obviously, yeah, it, throughout it, his it, career. Times. I wish it worked for us, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It worked. It worked about 16 times. And, and uh, Coach JR, um, you know, got three of his own. So uh, yeah, that model's not broken in Lewiston. <laughs> no, it is. It definitely is not. Uh, well, Zach, I, you know, thanks obviously for coming on. Uh, before I let you go, I want to kind of do what I kind of give to most people, which is just one more chance. If there's anything I don't know that we missed, or uh, whether it's recruiting or baseball or coaching or life or family or anything that that you think might be valuable for people or or whatever, shout people out. Doesn't matter. Just uh, hand you the mic one more time. Oh man, I just coaches, um, you know, everybody like give, give some, I, this is just going to be such a random thing that I'm going to say. It's just give, give some coaches, give some teachers, give some people, um, a little bit of grace over the last COVID year. Um, you know, people really, these, these people really, really care. Um, you know, I, I always, this is like going to be, a, I feel like I'm, I'm giving an apology to my team. Like I, um, everybody's being challenged in a way that they've never been challenged before. Um, and I'll be the first to admit that I didn't necessarily love my coaching performance this past year, um, at WVC, but it's not because we don't, we don't care. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a really unique time. Um, reach out to someone that you, that you really care about and talk to them, coaching community, um, support each other, teaching community, support each other. Um, you know, and, and players know that, uh, you know, what we're doing, we're, we're, we're doing it because we, we love working with you guys every single day, um, or you girls. Um, you know, we, it's, it's, a it's a tough profession, but, but we love it. So, um, just, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, man. You're the man. I appreciate you coming on and, uh, hope you're enjoying your time away from coaching. And I'm sure like we talked about, you'll be back, but in the meantime, I'm sure, I'm sure your wife loves it too. I hear you, man. I appreciate being <laughs> on. Thanks. Coach Clanton, obviously a great dude. You probably felt that come through your earbuds. 
Coaching is a huge endeavor and it's, it's really important for us to all self-reflect from time to time to make sure that we're able to give our full selves to all parts of our lives. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button wherever you're tuning in from. Most importantly, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media to your followers, via email to fellow coaches, or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. It doesn't matter how you do it, just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Zach Clayton for jumping on the call with me, and thanks again to Netting Pros and Driveline Plus for sponsoring the episode, and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.